We're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. We're at verse 10 in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you ever wanted to miss one of the studies, this would have been the one. If you manifest the previous Beatitudes, guess what? You're going to be persecuted. This last Beatitude is not so much a character trait, obviously, as it is a characteristic of the Christian life. Because you display the traits listed in the Beatitudes, those who are not saved primarily are going to react with persecution against you. It does seem odd that persecution would be the result of, example, you're being a peacemaker, which was the last beatitude we looked at. So, blessed are the peacemakers, and then everybody wants to persecute you because you're trying to make peace. But we saw that it's making peace with God, uh, and, and that's going to... It's very understandable why people would persecute you. We'll see that in just a second. <clears throat> but if... Uh, it, it, it does make sense if you understand that the issues of your life are essentially spiritual, they're not material and physical. Although we live in a material, physical universe right now, and, and we, we keep getting drawn onto that plane in terms of living life on a daily basis and interfacing with people and stuff, essentially things are spiritual and there's something behind what's going on. And one of the things that's happening is we're in a spiritual conflict against sinister forces and against people who are the unwitting agents of evil. Paul, in one of his epistles, says that people who are not believers are taken captive by the devil to do his will. They're not demon-possessed. They're not, you know, <clears throat> vampires. I mean, it, it's nothing weird. You know, it's just because they're not in our camp, they follow the thinking and the teaching and the... The, the, the influences of the world and of their own nature, and so they necessarily are antagonistic. I want to drive this home because being persecuted for righteousness' sake is every bit a description of you as all the other Beatitudes. Uh, it, it, just, it ought to describe Christians. It should not seem unusual at all. In fact, persecution should be more or less common in your life or throughout your life. Persecuted or persecution can take a multitude of forms. It's almost silly to talk about <clears throat> the different ways you can be persecuted. It can be as seemingly innocent as being overlooked for promotion at your job or treated indifferently because of your Christianity or something like that. Or it can slide to the total opposite end of the scale where you're literally martyred for your faith, where people would kill you if they could. Uh, we don't suffer a lot of physical persecution in the United States, uh, but we could. I mean, there are people who would probably kill you if they could, if they could get away with it. And, and so it's there. So the, the important phrase in this, once we understand persecution, is for righteousness' sake. It cancels out your just being disagreeable or divisive or a difficult person or a sinful being in a sinful situation, or being slothful. Uh, it cancels out all of those personal traits by which people would just dislike you or have a, a problem with you. When I was at the title company down in San Bernardino, I worked with a guy. 
he was a Christian, <clears throat> nice guy, but he always thought he was being persecuted for righteousness sake because our boss told him to quit sharing his faith on the job. And the problem was he didn't do his work. He, he would quit working and just want to share Jesus the whole time. And uh, it just, it was a bad testimony. Basically, the, my bosses would call me in and say, because they knew I was a Christian, say, what's up with Dave? And I'd say, well, what do you mean? They'd say, well, I thought Christians were supposed to be hard workers. And all he does is tell people to be Christians. They would say things like, if everybody became a Christian at our company, no work would ever get done. If they were all like Dave. And, and, and it, was, it was serious. I remember uh, Chief Bob Vernon from the Los Angeles Police Department, Deputy Chief, years ago, he said, uh, a sincere Christian man, he said while he was on duty as a police officer, uh, he would encounter many situations that, you know, where he thought that Jesus Christ could come in and minister to a person. And so he would say to them, I'm on duty for the city of Los Angeles right now, but I'm a Christian and I would like to come back and talk to you after my shift is over. Would you mind if I came and, and talked to you about the Lord? And, and many times people would say yes, and he would come back. Uh, and, and really, that's, that's one technique. That's one way of doing it. And because you, 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 uh, you're kind of walking a tightrope there. But I've known a lot of people that just think they're being persecuted when they're just being stupid. You know, it, because somebody's treating you badly and you happen to be a Christian, it doesn't make a connection that it's that you're being persecuted for righteousness sake. Uh, you you just being treated that way, maybe because you're doing something wrong or, or you're outside the boundaries. We can cause our own problems. We bring suffering upon ourselves, which are quite unnecessary many times. And there's a vast difference between being offensive because of our personality and causing an offense because we are acting rightly. And so just bear that in mind. The Apostle Peter said this. This is from 1 Peter 4, verse 15. He said, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. So he's there. He's, he's in a section where he's talking about you're going to suffer as a Christian, but hey, make sure it's not for wrong reasons. Don't, don't be a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer. And that's interesting. He says, or a busybody. I love the way these guys put together things that you and I would not see in the same breath, you know. Lou, don't be a murderer and don't be a busybody because that's just bad. And, and uh, it's interesting, though, busybody, gossip, slander, all of this kind of stuff, it, it ruins people's lives. It kills churches. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's right up there with things that God hates. But the, the point we're making is, and it's a really strong point that, that I keep hitting, but it's very important. We have to be willing to analyze what's going on in our lives and determine, is it real persecution for righteousness' sake, or do I need to make some adjustments to my work habits? Do I need to knock off the rough edges of my personality? You know, that kind of a thing. Another more subtle thing we might want to be aware of is that oftentimes people are persecuted for causes and that necessarily not for Christ. Uh, they, they believe in a certain cause. It might be a good cause, a moral cause, even a religious cause. And the persecution can be real, but it doesn't make it a beatitude. Persecution by itself isn't a beatitude. It doesn't bring you the blessing unless it is for righteousness' sake. 
So what, what is it to be righteous? Well, as we've been learning in simple terms, it just means to be like Jesus. Uh, it, it's, it's to be Christ-like. Jesus said that the world hated him. If you are like him, then the world will hate you. It's is very simple. Here's what he said in John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. This kind of thinking is why the apostles got all excited in the book of Acts when they were beat up for God, because they thought, wow, this is great. They, we must be acting Christ-like because this is what they did to our Lord when he said these kinds of things, and now we're saying them, and this is what they're doing to us. And it's not a morbid fascination with pain or, uh, you know, it's not a death wish or a fatalism. It's a recognition that if they treated Jesus that way, they're bound to treat you that way. And if they're treating you that way, then, then you're in good company. Uh, we're wired to think it's strange when we fall into trials or temptations or when we're persecuted. It, it just immediately strikes us as odd. Uh, uh, partly, there's a lot of reasons for that, but part of it has to do with the fact that we still have vestiges of the sin nature. We have our flesh where we think we should be treated better. You know, we, we don't deserve this. Uh, and, and, you know, we're really nice people. We're, we're sharing this because we love you. And then people misinterpret it and they turn it against you. And we really do need to recapture the attitude that the disciples had and just think, wow, this is fantastic. You know, I, I mean, no one loves suffering, but if it's suffering for the sake of Christ, what a blessing. And, and so uh, Jesus promised that he said in the world, you'll have tribulation. Here he's telling us that the world will hate you and persecute you. These are some of the things that don't come in most promise boxes. You know, and you have the little, we, for years, and they still sell them, the little bread, it's a little loaf of bread about this big out of plastic, and it's got little promise cards in it you pick out every day, you know. Very rarely do you get John 15, 18 through 20. If you did, and, you know, nobody would be buying that thing, you know. I mean, you could have the, the persecution bread box, you know, stuff just, <laughs> just, that would be a, you know, they, you couldn't give those things away, you know. Nobody would want that. Now, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, I mean, it's just a, so, so we need to get it through our heads that this is part of the Christian life. Every bit as much as being described as meek and peacemakers and all of these other things. It's impossible to categorize suffering, but it wouldn't be going too far to say that the Apostle Paul suffered more than anyone else for righteousness sake. I mean, the guy... Anyone else that we really know about. I mean, I'm sure there are other Christians throughout the history of, uh, you know, uh, Christianity. And there's guys in Fox's Book of Martyrs. But, but Paul's right up there. I mean, if there's a suffering competition in heaven, you know, then he's, he's going to be a candidate. He's going to be a finalist, at least, you know, uh, when, when it comes down to it. His one objective was to know Christ and make Christ known. And for that, he earned his great measure of persecution, which he seemed always to consider a blessing that he was being treated that way. And it didn't, didn't seem to frustrate him or shame him or concern him as long as the gospel was being preached. I mean, the guy, people wanted to kill him, and he said, hey, I want to talk to them right now about God. You know, there's a riot at Ephesus where they're, t I mean, they're, they're, they're going to bring down the house literally, and, and Paul wants to go out and talk to them and share Christ with them. 
Uh, same thing happened in the temple when he was first arrested. Uh, you know, he, he, and he began to talk to them from the steps until he mentioned the name of Jesus Christ, and then they wanted to tear him limb from limb. And so, uh, you know, he, he, he had a, a really solid focus, and when he was persecuted, it was for righteousness' sake. It wasn't because he promised to make you a tent and then didn't deliver on it. And, and, or you put up your tent and it had a, you, know, you went camping in your tent that Paul made you and the rain came through it and he didn't say, well, that's, you know, you're mad at me because I'm a, you know, a Christian and stuff. He, he made a bad tent. You know, and so he understood that. Now, here's the deal. Righteousness is different than being good or than doing what is right. The difference is that righteousness is given to you you are declared righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You acknowledge your sin and you receive God as your Savior. And, and you're made right with God. We talked about this at the beginning of the Beatitudes uh, and during them. And, and so it's just really basic Christianity. It's Christianity 101. And, and that's the point. Others are condemned when you are like Jesus. Because your witness, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, is that they too are hell-doomed sinners in need of salvation. When you accept Jesus Christ, you expose everyone else's true spiritual condition. So you're in a group of people. doesn't matter if you're a drug addict or if you're a Wall Street trader or banker. It doesn't matter where you are on society scale. You come to work one day or go down to the trash can that's on fire, depending on you know where you hang out. <laughs> I saw Rocky last night, and so there's a lot of trash can fires in that movie. <laughs> the original Rocky, they're always in Philadelphia hanging around by trash cans. So wherever you hang out, you come and you say, guys, I've been born again. Yesterday I was just like you, but now I'm brand new. What do you mean you were just like us? I was headed for hell. I was a sinner doomed to hell, but now... I've accepted Christ as my Savior. So what are you saying? You're saying, guys, you are sinners condemned for hell. You're on your way down. And uh, a guy around a trash can might be more open to that than a guy at, you know, sitting at his desk. Uh, and uh, I remember when I first got saved, I made an appointment to go see one of my college professors who had meant a lot to me. And we had a discussion about Christianity and got off track with his mind on the, the problem of suffering. He couldn't understand how God would let good people suffer, you know, and stuff like that. But he, he wasn't buying it, you know, that there was something wrong with him fundamentally in his inner... And so you, you are letting people know that they're condemned to hell when you become a Christian because you've accepted Christ by grace through faith. And this is why people will hate you. Because it's really quite an insult to the average person to tell them that eternally speaking... They're on a level with Charles Manson. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's a blatant thing, and I wouldn't recommend you tell anybody that, you know, that, that hey, you and Charlie Manson are, you're like this, you know, and stuff when it comes to, <laughs> and uh, I know there's different degrees of punishment in hell, but, <laughs> I mean, you know, come on, you know, I mean, once you're there, you're there. So, so but they understand that your presentation of the gospel means that they are in that family, they are in that camp. A person is either right with God or they are wrong. There's no middle ground. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, and I quote, Righteousness is confrontational. And even when it is not preached in so many words, it confronts wickedness by its very contrast. 
And so that's why the righteous are persecuted. If your witness is getting across and people understand what you're saying, then they have to struggle with the fact that they are wrong fundamentally. Uh, MacArthur goes on, he gives this biblical example that I like. There's a lot of them, but he used Abel. He said, and I quote, Abel did not preach to Cain, but Abel's righteous life, typified by his proper sacrifice to the Lord, was a constant rebuke to his wicked brother, who in a rage finally slew him. So, you remember the story. Adam and Eve, sin in the garden. God provides them skins. We speculate that they were lambs because of the biblical symbolism. Then you get into Cain and Abel. Abel brings the sacrifice of a lamb, the blood sacrifice. God accepts that because it's a faith sacrifice. Cain brings a bunch of produce that he's uh, grown in his farm. And God doesn't accept that because it's a sacrifice of works. It's the works that he produced and there's no blood involved. And it condemns him that God accepts that his brother's sacrifice and rejects his he understands, in a sense, that, that there's a condemnation there. And so he eventually persecutes his brother. He rises up and he kills him. The more Christ-like you get, the more hated you will be. Look at Jesus. The Pharisees thought they had the corner on being right with God. My favorite picture of a Pharisee is him tithing his spices. For... Uh, this year we tried some, we we have a traditional lasagna meal for uh, for Christmas, and uh, very simple, just bread and lasagna. But this year I got into wanting to make a, a a savory bread dipping sauce, and so I found this recipe, and it requires all kinds of spices: rosemary, thyme, uh, you know, basil, oregano, all of these different spices. And as I was cutting it all up, I was thinking about the Pharisees who would go and buy their spices and then count out all the leaves. Now, just get an oregano, you know, the, the, the dried oregano, and pour that out and count every... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One over here for God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Until you had a pile, you know, a 90% pile and a 10% pile because 10% belonged to God. And this was there. This, to me, symbolizes everything that you need to know about the works and keeping the law and how ridiculous it is. And so Jesus comes along and in this sermon and elsewhere uh, shattered their notions that righteousness could be attained or maintained by any outward rites and rituals. It requires this faith transaction depending upon grace and not works. And, and uh, so, you know, when you do that, you can expect that the Pharisees are going to be upset with you. And, and, and as you understand that principle, you see why their hatred grew and grew and grew towards the Lord. Persecution of Christians in America is not violent yet. Hopefully it never will be. But the world still finds ways to persecute you if you promote and preach righteousness. I'm sure all of you would have a story or many stories about times you've been persecuted because, just because you're a Christian. Or maybe you're involved in something like that right now where you're going through that. It says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, three verses in Second Thessalonians is a kind of commentary on these words where Paul writes and he says, this is Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. He says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is revealed from heaven 
with his mighty angels. And so what Paul is saying is that yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're being persecuted now, but yours is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and God will settle all accounts. Actually, the blessings of God's kingdom are, our kingdom are threefold. They're present, millennial, and they're eternal. Presently, we are promised blessings. Even if your life is one of constant persecution, even if you end up martyred, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and you have, the Bible says, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have all the grace that you need to sustain you. God's grace is always sufficient for you. We also believe that Jesus will return in his second coming, and when he does, he'll establish a 1,000-year reign upon the earth. You read about it in Revelation chapter 20. When he returns, we will return with him, the Bible says. We will either have been resurrected from the dead and received our glorified bodies, or we'll be raptured at the time of that resurrection and have be changed into our glorified bodies. So we'll be on the earth for that thousand years and rule and reign with him. Millennium is the Latin for thousand years. That's, that's what we talk about, the millennial kingdom. And then in eternity, we're going to live forever in the blessedness of the literal presence of Jesus. We'll be in the literal, final, full-blown version of the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes begin and end with this promise of the kingdom. And, and it's this kingdom kind of mentality that we have to have. So, when you go to work, when you go to school, out in the world, uh, you should expect persecution for righteousness sake. If people know you're a Christian and if through your life and your words they understand what it means to be a Christian. It's not that you go to church or go to more church on Christmas than they do, you know, because it's a special holiday or any of those things. It means that you have acknowledged that without God's help you are going to spend eternity in hell. And then that's going to happen to them too some of those people are going to take that, well, actually, they're going to take it the right way, and they're going to persecute you because they're going to hate you because of it. Maybe not overtly or openly, but spiritually. And then you've got the devil who's trying to destroy your life and trying to keep your witness from meaning anything to those people. And, and it all kind of works in together to, to bring you to that place of persecution. Now, if you're not being persecuted for righteousness' sake, I don't suggest you go out and do that. You know, you don't, don't try and bring that upon yourself. It'll Just, you know, ask the Lord if you are giving the witness that he wants you to give in the place where he's planted you. Uh, and, and uh, you know, God is a loving, caring father. Jesus is our friend. Uh, and, and he will suggest to you perhaps that, hey, yeah, you know, people really don't know you're a Christian. I remember years ago, it was one of the most embarrassing, you know how some things are just embarrassing? I was at lunch with a group of guys from the church, two or three guys, three guys, and um, we were in Lemoore, uh, and we went to this one restaurant, and this waitress came in, and uh, she knew all of us, uh, and... This, uh, she said, well, what are you guys doing? And, and the one guy, one guy said, well, we're here. You know, this is our pastor. And No, she only knew him. That's right. Forget. Okay. Rewind. She knew him. And he, she said, hey, so what are you doing here today? She goes, well, this is our pastor. And these are my friends. And you know, we're having a little devotional time. And, and I'll never forget this. She goes, you're a Christian? <laughs> and, I mean, he had known her for years and years and years. And, it, it, you know, I, I don't know the whole depth of their, 
interactions and stuff, but it just, it was such a horrible thing. I mean, I wanted to crawl out of the restaurant, you know, it just, I mean, I don't think anybody could have said anything that would have been more embarrassing and horrible than that. Um, but, you know, take it to heart. And, and I mean, if, if in my life, in your life, whether it's me in my neighborhood or you at work or whatever, if somebody were to, if you were to say, well, I'm a Christian and you need to accept Christ, would they say you're a Christian? You know, I mean, we need to at least rise to the level where we're, there is potential for persecution. You know, I mean, it, it, maybe we're not being persecuted because people are just indifferent and they, they understand the message and they don't care that you're calling them. But at least th- we need to have brought it to a potential for persecution where, 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 you know, people know what we're talking about. So have fun out there out in the world.